This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit walkwiththeking.org forward slash donate. Thank you for listening. All right, thank you very much. And hello again, dear radio friends. How in the world are you? You doing all right? One of the nicest things that happens to me is that occasionally riding on an airplane or traveling somewhere, I'll uh, be engaged in casual conversation, and someone will look at me and say, are you Dr. Cook? (laughs) This happened just the other day. I sat down in a crowded airplane, and there wasn't any room for my suitcase. I finally wedged it tightly underneath the seat in front of me and was sitting there with my feet tucked up, uh, feeling sorry for myself, actually. And uh, I just didn't do anything but sort of doze for a few minutes. Finally, they came along with the uh, with the beverage cart, and that sort of woke me up. And I asked for some tomato juice and was sitting there. And I thought, well, why don't I say hello to this man next to me? So I turned to him and asked him some question or other about his work and found out what he did. And so we were chatting a bit, and uh, he said, well, what have you been doing? Oh, I said, I've been in a committee meeting for the uh, religious broadcasters. I said, I used to be president of it, and now I'm on the executive committee. And so I've been working with them the last few days. He turned around in his seat, faced me, and he said, what's your name? <laughs> I said, my name is Robert Cook. He said, are you Dr. Cook? <laughs> I said, yeah. Why? He said, I listen to you every morning. <laughs> Oh, boy, that's nice. Nice to have friends. And I suppose the the uh, particular buzzsaw quality in my voice betrays me. It, that's kind of a trademark, isn't it? <laughs> I sat down at a Howard Johnson's over in Jersey somewhere one day. I was on my way to a meeting and was coffee thirsty, as they say in, among the Norwegians. So I wanted a cup of coffee. I sat at the counter. I said, give me a cup of coffee, will you? I just need a cup of coffee. And the waitress looked at me and she said, you're Dr. Cook. (laughs) Well, thank God people do know you. Just be sure that what they know about you honors the Lord. That's what counts. You're going to be identified somehow. Why not be identified with him, right? Which brings me then to John chapter 1 and John the Baptist. John saw Jesus coming to him, it says in verse 29 of John 1. And said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which was preferred before me, for he was before me. John knew that the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. And then he goes on to say, And I knew him not. There was no collusion, evidently, between John the Baptist and Jesus. They hadn't gotten together and said, Now you you start and then I'll come along. It didn't work that way. He said, I knew him not. But that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. Uh, Preachers, by the way, treat yourself to some rich preaching material by looking up the different purpose clauses. Here's one, that he should be made manifest uh, to Israel. Uh, there, There are so many in the New Testament. Generally, preceded by the little Greek word hina, which means in order that. Look up the purpose clauses. You'll find that it's rich preaching material. 
here you have that, that the little word occurring. But in order that, hina, that he should be made manifest, and it's the, the verb fanero'o, which means to, to, to show it in, in the package of a person, uh, to Israel, therefore am I come, baptizing with water. Um, you'll find that's a rich study. Or those of you who have your big concordance, you can look it up for yourself. Good stuff. The purpose of God. It's greater than any of us can comprehend, obviously. When we get to heaven, we'll know a little more about it, but all eternity will not suffice to teach us how great God's purposes are and have been. What's the purpose, then, I want to ask, of your life under God? Why are you doing what you're doing? It has to be admitted that for most of us, life breaks down into a pretty routine business, doesn't it? Get up, get dressed, if you're the homemaker, make the breakfast, pack the lunches, help Junior locate his sweat socks, help hubby locate a clean shirt, and get everybody off to school and to work, sit down maybe for a second cup of coffee before you tackle the task of cleaning up the house, which looks like a cyclone after the family leaves it. And then you go on through the day doing the 3,943,000 things that every homemaker has to do without ever getting thanked for it. And so on through the day. Do the shopping, pick up Junior, take him to the Cub Scout meeting, take Sister to her music lesson, get supper and, and serve it, and finally collapse, take two aspirins, go to bed. That's about it, isn't it, for some of you? Pretty routine day. Not easy but predictable. And in the process, you tend to settle into a kind of comfortable mediocrity that says, well, this is how it is. I suppose that's part of growing up. You stop fighting against the inevitable. You know what things can be changed and what things can't be changed, and you learn to live with the situation. I suppose that's how it is. Underlying all of it, however, there needs to be a divine purpose, and that's why I asked you a moment ago, what is the purpose of your life under God. Now, don't be content with some feeble generalization that I say, well, I want to glorify the Lord. Well, of course you do. But John knew why he was doing what he was doing. And I think every one of us has a right to that kind of awareness. That doesn't mean that all of us are going to the ministry full time. If we did, who would support you? <laughs> Somebody. I remember one of the Bauman boys I think it was Clayton who said to his brother who was heading for the ministry and, and uh, later became an outstanding minister located now, I think, out in San Diego. But Clayton said, well, somebody has to support you ministers. I'll be a businessman. <laughs> As it turned out, they're both in full-time service and doing a magnificent job. But no, I don't think that what is involved here is that every one of us needs to stop whatever we're doing and go full-time into Christian work. That isn't the point I'm making. There is a divine purpose for you if you're vice president of a corporation. There's a divine purpose for you if you're a physician, if you're a nurse, if you're a psychologist, or a psychiatrist, or a professor in a school or a chairman of the board of some corporation or foreman in charge of production. 
I think one of the jobs I would never volunteer for is expediter in the production department. The person who has to keep breathing down everybody's neck to be sure that the job is done on time. That is a thankless task, isn't it? When I worked at Scripture Press, we had two or three expediters that worked for Bill Hall. And I, I used to look at them and, and pity them and admire them at the same time because the job of trying to get things done in a corporation sometimes is a heartbreaking, backbreaking task. Well, anyway, whatever your job may be, there's a divine purpose that underlies it, and you better find that out. John knew what he was doing and why he was doing it. I'll tell you the most delightful thing in the world is to wake up any given day and say, God, I'm going to live this day for you, and I know what you want me to do. I woke up this morning realizing that the very first thing I ought to do is to complete another couple of broadcasts so I could have them on tape and send them over to the college where they can be duplicated and sent out. That, that was the first thing I thought about when I woke up this morning, and I prayed, oh God, get my mind going and, and help me with this, this work. To know that you're in the purpose of God is the most wonderful thing in the world. Find that out for yourself. You say, how can I? Wait on God. Wait on God. The psalmist said, this was too wonderful to me. I couldn't understand it until I went into the sanctuary. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Get alone with your Lord in the sanctuary of prayer. Wait before him. Not just a little speech to God. Lord, bless me and do this and do that. That's what most of us do when we pray. I know. But this involves spending time with your Lord, reading his word, letting it speak to you, letting the Holy Spirit apply those truths to you, and waiting before him, and praying, a conversation, if you will, between you and God. And out of that will grow an awareness of what he wants you to do. Back in 1948, it was quite apparent that I was moving uh, closer to a position of responsibility in Youth for Christ and away from the full-time pastorate. I had moved up from LaSalle, Illinois with the family and was living in Chicago and was listed as associate pastor with my brother-in-law, Tory Johnson, at Midwest Bible Church. And I enjoyed it so very, very much. That was in 1944. Immediately in the spring of 44, we started Youth for Christ and had our weekly Saturday night rallies in Orchestra Hall on Michigan Avenue, just across from the Art Institute. I remember we designed the first brochure with a, with a silhouette of the lions out in front of the Art Institute as being the, the location uh, mark for us. And my job was uh, then for several years to do the publicity, write the news articles, make sure they got in the paper, uh, write the copy for the advertising brochures and, and all of that, as well as to preach in uh, Midwest Bible Church approximately half the time and uh, uh, just sort of keep all those different balls juggling up in the air. Then I loved it. But as the time went on, I got into 1948, it looked uh, suspiciously as though I was going to be taking on more responsibility in Youth for Christ and then inevitably would be doing less at the local church level. And it bothered me because I'd, I'd had 18 years full-time of pastoring and it was part of my very life. 
And I remember praying as, as I was on the road with Merrill Dunlop and Gregorio Tinkson. We were in a series of one-night stands all across the Midwest, preaching, trying to raise money for a, a trip that we were going to take out to the Orient in the summer of, uh, or spring, I should say, of 1948. And I remember praying, oh God, I have to know what you have in mind. I got to know that I can't just drift into this. And I waited on God and prayed. And then one night in, at Medina, Ohio, after the meeting was over and I went to my room, we were staying in a, what was known as a tourist home. <laughs> this was before the days of motels in some of those places. And this was a tourist home, and I had a little room with a single cot, just room enough to kneel beside it, and my, my feet touched the opposite wall. It was a narrow room, but it was all right. And I got down beside that cot, and I began to pray again and look into the Word of God. And the Bible was open at John chapter 4, and this verse caught my eye. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men have labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And those words, I sent you to reap, leaped out to me from the page, and I said, thank you, Lord. That's what you want me to do. And that became the basis then of my entire approach to Youth for Christ in those years. It's a reaping ministry based upon the faithful work of so many others that went before. Well, we talk about the rest of this when we get together again. Father God, today, let us know the purpose for what we're doing in thy sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Till I meet you once again by way of radio, walk with the King today and be a blessing.